Hello and welcome to Table for Five with no reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty, tart, and pleasantly bitter conversation. Thank you for taking a seat at the table. Tonight is episode four in our series, The Woman in You, and we are doing a special storytellers episode this time. So you're going to hear five stories, one from each of us that we have prepared ahead of time. And we're excited for a new way to spread our story. And tonight I have Jamie. Hi. Jen. Hi. Kim. Hello. Rachel. Hey, everybody. And I'm Tabitha. And tonight we're going to start off with Jamie. The first time I heard the word by Jamie Ramos. Hot, sweaty, and out of breath in the middle of winter, I sat in a full doctor's office lobby. Due to construction, the area we were in held patients waiting for the pediatrician as well as those waiting for the gynecologist. It was packed. My son wouldn't hold still while we waited. I was chasing him and bringing him back over and over. The waiting area wasn't enclosed and there were stairs nearby. Not ideal. Names were being called one by one, and each time my son would loudly repeat the name the nurse had just beckoned. This was something I didn't expect and something that drew all eyes every time. He didn't giggle or smile after each one. He just echoed her. I could feel as one older woman waiting a few chairs away from us watched with a glare. I felt her thoughts and her judgment. She wanted me to look at her. She wanted me to see that she didn't approve. Like that was going to change me, change the situation, change him. Finally, my husband arrived to help. I was so grateful, but somewhat ashamed. Why couldn't I manage a little two-year-old boy on my own? Why did I need my husband to take time off work to help me? I felt like a failure and also annoyed that he was late. As he takes over, I get exactly two seconds to breathe when the nurse finally calls out my son's name. I threw all the toys, books, and snacks in the diaper bag I had brought to keep him busy but they only ended up scattered around our chairs as each failed to do their job. I grabbed the paperwork that I'd never finished filling out in the chaos and walked to the nurse's station. I hate the stares, the looks of pity, the looks of judgment. I'm both grateful and annoyed by the man who says, you've got your arms full there, don't you? Yep, I reply with a half smile and probably flared nostrils. My husband helps the nurse try to get my son's weight and height. I apologize as the toddler doesn't follow any of her instructions. Then we enter the exam room to wait. Great, more waiting. I quickly fill out the paperwork. I have filled out milestone paperwork at every doctor's visit for my son since his birth. This paperwork looked different, but I didn't think much about it because this was a new doctor for us. You see a doctor a lot in those first two years. Four days, one month, two months, four months, six months, nine months, 12 months, 15 months, 18 months. Only at the last doctor's appointment did I have any concerns. His speech had stopped progressing. He barely hit the minimum word count and was often quiet. But in reply of my mentions, I heard, that happens sometimes, especially with boys. I'm not concerned. He has great gross motor skills. Who am I to question a doctor? If she's not concerned, I'm not he'll be fine. I left that last appointment reassured. It's only been six months since then, but it all seems like a distant worry. I'm still confident that it will all come. I hear a knock and the new doctor enters the room. After a short introduction, we begin to chat. Height and weight look good, she says. As she talks, she begins to flip through the paperwork I just filled out. She's tallying something up. She looks concerned. 
I didn't even think twice about the paperwork. I want to talk about sleep. Shouldn't a two-year-old be sleeping all night? He never settles and then he wakes up in the middle of the night or really early and he is wide awake. If he just sleep, I think he'd be less temperamental. I never get to say any of this. She starts going on about the milestone paperwork and keeps saying, do you guys have any concern about his development? Uh, his old doctor didn't. He rolled, sat, crawled, walked, and kind of talked all on time again. But do you have any concerns? All I could think was, why aren't you asking about naps, sleeping, eating, all the stuff we'd usually cover? I hadn't realized that this form was a test, a test we didn't pass. She called in her nurse to help start a new test on the computer. While the nurse logged in to the computer, the doctor again asked, do you have any concerns about development? I was growing frustrated and defensive. Why am I feeling rushed and pushed? I raised my eyebrows and said, you keep asking in that. Do you have any concerns? That next test begins. Does he ever point? He used to. Does he show you things? Um, not really. Maybe a plane sometimes. Does he bring you anything? The remote? That sounds really great to a new doctor. The questions go on and on. Some are easy. Some we have to really think about. Most we didn't even know that we should be watching for. This was the first time I heard the word. Has anyone ever talked to you about autism? There's immediately a lump in my throat. That one word. I'm not going to lie. Like any 21st century mom, I've Googled things here and there about sleep or not talking to us. The possibility autism does come up as a result, but my son is cuddly and silly. He did everything on time. I never even really considered it. I sat there as the word echoes in my mind, autism, A-U-T-I-S-M, the one word people often use to define an entire human being. I shut down. I'm defensive and I just want to get out of the room. A referral is given and we leave. The whole way home, I'm irked. Why was she pushing it so hard? I felt like she gets an autism commission or something. I didn't get to ask about anything else. He's just behind. He's just shy. He's a boy. Everyone develops differently. My husband agrees. Over the next couple of years, we battled that one word. The referral took us to an observation that resulted in just a delay. Come back in a year if he's still behind. We went back. Years later, as I sit here, my relationship with the word has changed, but it's always extremely complicated. My son isn't one word. He is so much more. I battle with the assumption people make from it. I'm grateful I can just throw it out there as an explanation. Some days I'm angry at it because I blame it. I blame it for taking away what I thought was going to be. Every so often, late in the night, I loathe it. My son lives in an overwhelming world where anxiety often takes over. A world where few people accept him and understand him. Others will never take the time to. Though a lot of the time, I can find beauty in it. It has changed the way I see the world. It's part of the most beautiful boy I know. When he feels happiness and joy, it's greater than I will ever know. When I first heard autism that day in the doctor's office, I thought I knew what it was. I feared it in many ways, but also didn't really know what it meant. I know so much more now. My son is autistic and silly and sweet and determined and a million things. And autism is just a word. A Piece of My Heart by Kimberly McIsaac.
The phone rang. I paused for a second, almost not wanting to answer it. My heart skipped a beat as I picked it up, as it had for the past three months. My dad had been sick for months, well, technically years. He had diabetes, high blood pressure, congested heart failure, but all these things were controlled by medicine. You couldn't see them. They weren't tangible. He was 74 and beginning to forget a little bit. Mix up his time a little, nothing major. When you looked at my dad, you did not see a sick man. He was larger than life, big, strong, loud, a force to be reckoned with. Steel blue eyes and once black, but now graying hair. He stood tall at 6'2 with an almost 300 pound frame. He could make you laugh in an instant. He was outrageously funny and he would just say whatever came to his mind. He was rough around the edges, but had a heart of gold. Loved his wife with a passion, loved his children fiercely. Would act like he didn't care, but he would never let you go without. He adored his grandchildren, especially my daughters. And he had a special place for Alyssa, my daughter with autism. He loved her so much. Their bond was incredible. So when my dad had a few falls, we didn't think much of it. Turns out he had a nasty UTI and then they admitted him into the hospital for testing. We had no idea that he would never come home again. He had an abscess that needed to be drained and they found fluid with bacteria around his replaced knee. He needed two minor procedures. A week later, he aspirated on vomit and his vitals crashed. He was rushed to ICU and a specialist from Boston came to do a procedure to clear him out. We were all called to the hospital. He was septic and on a ventilator, but stable. They didn't know if he would make it through the night. They said they can fix anything but his heart. His heart has to hold out in order for him to live. The next 24 hours would be crucial if he made it. How is this even possible? I felt like I was in the twilight zone. The words weren't even making sense. They spoke so calmly, so matter of fact. They were very nice, irritatingly so. You could see the pity in their eyes. We were able to go in and see him and tears pulled in my eyes. It was a good thing because I hated seeing him like that. Tubes everywhere, machines beeping in the air, swishing coming out of the breathing machine. It was like I was put into an episode of Grey's Anatomy, except it was real and it was my dad. My heart was squeezing, I could barely breathe, and tears poured down my face as I looked at him, looking so vulnerable. Every day, he made it through the night for the next five days was promising. He came off the vent and was stable and awake. Thank you, God. He had a long road ahead, but he was alive. He went to acute care and then to a rehab and was coming along. They were talking about discharge, which seemed crazy, but they were going to send him home and have visiting nurses and lots of PT at home. My sister was on the other end of the phone telling me that my dad had spiked a fever and they were sending him to the hospital from the rehab. They said he seemed a little confused and they were just being cautious. The hospital called and said we should go to the hospital. My heart was pounding and I felt sick. My sister said her and my mom were going up and they would call me when they got there. I looked at my autistic daughter who adores my dad. I wondered if she would even know where he was and if she would realize if anything happened. She has no concept of death, a blessing in disguise, I suppose. My young daughters were 10 and 8 and had to get to dance. I pushed aside the gloomy thoughts as I hustled them into the car. I tried to not overreact, my heart palpitating, my thoughts racing, trying not to panic, trying to keep it together for my kids who were giggling and talking as we drove to the last dance class of the year before the big show. Their excitement was contagious as the recital was coming that weekend. My sister called. My dad was septic again. It wasn't like the last time. He was talking and flirting with the nurses. He was making everyone laugh and keeping the doctors on their toes. They were going to give him IV antibiotics and put him in the CCU as a precaution. And that way they could monitor him closely. They were still trying to stabilize his blood pressure, but were controlling that with meds. A huge sigh of relief. He was okay. False alarm. I talked to him on the phone when I got home. I hugged my kids extra tight, relishing in their innocence. My heart couldn't take much more. The next morning, the phone rang again. The hospital called and wanted us to come in for a meeting. We weren't really understanding why, but we went. You begin to get numb after so many of these calls. I honestly didn't think too much. I knew he was okay, but I'm a professional warrior, so I called my husband on the way. 
I promised to keep him in the loop as my dad was like a dad to him too. When we got there, we went into a tiny little room with the doctor and a nurse. They wanted us to make some decisions. I was confused to what they were saying. Your dad is septic. Okay, what else is new? He's not stable. The antibiotics aren't working. My mind was swirling. Put him back on the vent then. We can't, ma'am, it doesn't work like that. I looked at my mom and my sister bewildered. What are you saying? Your dad is in pain. If we give him comfort meds, it will compromise his heart. If we do nothing, he will be in pain. We suggest you call family members to come up and say goodbye. Um, what? I looked at my mom, my heart breaking. Without missing a beat, she said, make him comfortable. I wanted to shout, no, we can't give up. My dad is strong. He's stronger than a hundred elephants. He's a fighter. He is my dad, my protector, my constant. Isn't there anything you can do? We can't, he isn't stable. Like what the f does that even mean? My mom said, it's okay. No, it's not okay. I asked, how long do we have? She said, it depends. They can't say for sure. It could be a couple of weeks or as soon as a week. It could be a few days. Oh God, I needed to call my husband, my brother, his brother. I called my husband sobbing. I could barely talk. All I could get out is I need you here now. You need to leave work and come here. He was on his way. My sister left to get my brother and sister in Dorchester. They were 20 minutes away. We made the calls. My mom and I walked down the hall to go back and see my dad. I didn't want to. He looked terrible. He was yelling out in pain. My mom needed me. I had to be strong. I could do it until my husband got there, until my sister got back. We walked in putting the yellow gowns on that were required. Sticky plastic gowns. We sat in the room surrounded by beeps. The nurse came in to admit us the meds. She said how sorry she was. I just nodded. I looked at him and thought how selfish was I to not want to give him comfort meds as I watched him reach for us. He kept saying he wanted to go home. He said, I love you. The words were such a struggle. I held his hand talking to him, telling him it was okay. As I held his hand, I felt something I can't explain. I can't explain it. I just knew. I looked up at the nurse and said, what happened? Something happened. She reassured me, no, he's still here. But my heart knew he was gone. Just like that in an instant. She came back five minutes later and said, you're right. He's gone. My sister didn't even make it back. By the time everyone got there, he was gone. My husband walked in and looked at me and said, no, I lost it in his arms. I left a piece of my hat in that hospital room that day with my dad. He's the best dad I could ever have. I will forever miss him. You never know how fast things can change. Love your loved ones. Hug them a little longer. Spend time with them while you can. I will think of my dad as often as I can with a smile because that's who he was and that's what he would want. Pick Up the Damn Purse by Jennifer Dunn. Mine's not nearly as um, touching <laughs> or emotional. And Rachel, I was saying something about a purse, which is towards the end. And Rachel said, maybe there's some Kleenex in the purse for her. But my story is about the first public one. To this day, it still sends chills down my spine every time I think of it. That day, I didn't miss a step. A lot of planning went into it. You see, my daughter loved Peppa Pig and she still does. But it doesn't matter how much preparation you take. It really doesn't matter. There's no amount of planning that can guarantee a smooth day. But when I found out Peppa Pig was coming to a town near us, I bought us VIP tickets because that's just what I do. And my daughter loves that stupid pig. So we it was a meet and greet and you know different seating and all of the $500 worth of Peppa Pig VIP tickets that it cost me. The drive from our home to where the theater was, was an hour plus. And my daughter doesn't do well past 10 or 15 minutes. She begins to get antsy, vocal stims, and this being so far away, I felt we were doomed. But when we left the car, she was happy and skipping, and I got the most adorable pictures. 
I was feeling confident. Problem was when we got there, we had to wait. Not a good combo after an hour plus drive. And the next thing I knew, she was screaming at a level most could never imagine and kicking the glass doors trying to get in. Rightfully so, the staff came out and sternly scolded me for allowing her to do that. Trust me, I was trying. Children on the spectrum have a strength most don't understand. So stopping her was easier said than done. Then suddenly we were on the ground. She pulled my earrings out one by one and we tumbled down. My purse went flying along with everything in it. This was a meltdown of epic proportions and in front of hundreds of people, literally hundreds of people. I went from embarrassed to just trying to keep her safe. It was like we were spinning in a tunnel and everyone else seemed frozen as I scanned every single face in slow motion. As I stood up and caught out my balance, my daughter began to scream again. I was sweating and the part that sticks out to me the most, well, there's two parts actually. One was not a single person offered to help me, not one person. No one offered to pick up my purse. No one asked if we were okay. Here's the other part that I remember. There was a person, must have been an angel, that came outside, brought us inside, knew my daughter couldn't wait anymore, and took us to a bench while she went and got me a glass of wine. She asked me if I was okay. I sobbed uncontrollably. If you don't think this lady was an angel sent from the heavens, then we're just going to have to disagree. So if you're out there somewhere and you see a mama struggling like me, don't talk to me because I can't talk to you. I'm busy trying to keep my child safe. But pick up my purse. That's all you have to do is pick up the damn purse. A Life-Changing Moment Times Two by Tabitha Cabrera. There are life-altering moments in our lives where time and space slow down. Certain senses are heightened and you know forever you are changed. The gravity of the moment becoming a part of who you are as a person and the impact of the experience shifting where you once thought you were heading. When we took our tiny 4.5 pound baby boy home from the NICU in the heat of Arizona summer, I imagined all the ways I would protect him from the world. I imagined family vacations to faraway places, birthday parties with specific cakes, endless hugs, and all the places this life would take him. As we started to learn about each other, those first couple weeks in the quiet of the night with comforting feedings and sleep-deprived thoughts, I could feel an understanding between us start to form. I would hold him close and stroke his face as he fell asleep in my arms. I learned that his heart was full and open in a way that is important to understand. I watched as he grew and started to find interest in the world around him. I watched his fascination with the individual parts of his toys, and we joked that maybe he was going to be an engineer one day. As time went on, he would climb into my lap with his wobbly toddler shape. As his beloved dark brown hair flowed in his eyes, he would place his tiny hand in mine. He would call for his dad saying Dada from his high chair on evenings when he was off learning in his late night classes. It was the three of us in our tiny historic home with creaky hardwood floors, original windows that let in the heat, and the love-filled energy of a new parenting experience. I was a mother for the first time. And with him, it was all first. As he started to develop, so did the amount of strangers we invited into our life. He started services with early intervention due to language delay, and the discussions around his development started to creep in just like the heat from our old unsealed windows. We talked to his pediatrician in a white sterile room about all the lingering conversations we had with others. 
Just as a precaution, she referred us to a developmental pediatrician for an autism evaluation. It was in these moments that I quietly reassured myself that this was just a speech delay and he didn't fit into the endless internet quizzes I had filled out as we started to learn about autism indicators. We had time to process what might be coming, but we were lost in the maybes and the unanswered questions. With each stranger and scheduling receptionist at the end of the numerous phone calls, I began to have an overwhelming feeling that one of those life-changing moments was on the horizon. I felt with each month that passed and each package of paperwork, our son, with his beautiful vibrations, huge dark brown eyes, olive skin, and tender heart, was getting lost in the logistics of strangers' observations. We know who he is. We watched as he took his first steps, as he carried his favorite brown fruits around the house, as he danced in our living room, and as he snuggled up on the couch when the day was finally winding down at the end of the night. On January 16th, 2020, we walked into our local children's hospital with the brightly colored floors and welcoming visitation desk facilitator, and we walked out changed forever. I remember many details of that day, vividly taking in the experience as my brain processed the words that lingered in the air. I remember his face and the strong feelings of wanting to just hold him a little longer before we were sure. I also remember a fleeting thought about his baby sister and if we would have a second day like this for her. I remember the purple dress I was wearing, the feeling of the cold plastic chair on my exposed legs underneath it. I remember walking out in a fog of feelings in a quiet introspection surrounded by a bustling children's hospital. What I understand now is our son walked out the same boy he was when he walked in. Autism was always there. We were not fundamentally changed by the words that day, by the label given, by the large package of paperwork we left with. A door was open to understanding our son more deeply. We were changed by the amount of fight that was needed to protect him from the perspectives of the world on who he is. I promised our son on that hot day in the middle of Arizona summer that I would protect him, that he would feel and know love even in his darkest moments that this life would throw at him. I would make sure to the best of our ability that he wouldn't be broken by the words of others, that he would have a soft place to land, and my hand would always be open for him to place his in mine that we would dance in the rain, have adventures in the forest, and that I would let him teach me about him outside the opinions of others. Our daughter grew up under the shadow of this process. We were always watching, calculating, and examining her development. Before I held her in my arms, I didn't know if I could love another person as much as I loved her brother. Once she was placed in my arms with her striped holly decorated beanie, born in the height of the Christmas season, I knew there was an equal amount of love for her. I knew from the beginning that she would be my last baby. With her brother, it was all first. With her, I knew to linger just a little bit longer because she was our last. When she came into our life, she brought with her a light, her presence changing our son forever. And she began to take up space in our tiny historic home. We lived closely as a unit of four. She was born into a family and surrounded by the coming and going of strangers. She had always had an ability to draw others in, her tiny baby faces, early smiles, and amazing flexibility. I felt a closeness to her from the minute I saw her face. 
As time went on, we started to get a rhythm of services for our son. We moved to a larger home and the worry if she too would have a diagnosis day started to fade. When we went to her wellness check, I easily filled out the milestone questions. What I started to realize was that she did give us some first. She was the first to learn to sit up by doing the splits. <laughs> she was the first to easily use a spoon and fork. She was also the first person that our son got to look over. Around 18 months, things started to shift. I often feel guilty that I didn't see things change as they happened. How was that possible? Was I blind to what was happening? Was I in denial that things weren't changing before our eyes? We began to see differences. And then there was a swift, loud silence. She had lost her words completely. We were here for a second time. Talking of development, getting referrals, and scheduling a second autism evaluation. It was different walking into her appointment that day. I remember what she was wearing, a beautiful hand-stitched sweater and pigtails. I remember taking her in, looking into her face, as I did our son, and wondering if this would be the last moments before we knew for sure. On December 16th, 2020, we walked out for the second time with an autism diagnosis. The feelings were different than they were with our son. I had time to process before we walked into his appointment. I had talked to myself over and over about all the ways that this wouldn't change us. With our daughter, it was swift and breathtaking. I felt many things deep to my core. I wondered if I was strong enough to fight the good fight for both of them and still keep a small place for myself. I spent weeks walking around in a fog, the same fog I felt the first time. I wanted to find a small safe space and just wrap them in all the love I could muster up. I also wanted to run, pack us all up and find a place where they could be free to be whoever they wanted to be, to spend all of my time learning, watching and admiring their whole being. These life-changing moments are two days out of many. They created a life of logistics, appointments, and opinions. The complicated woven layers of feelings that came from these days isn't always something I understand. I know that my feelings, thoughts, and knowledge of this diagnosis directly affects my children and their lifelong perspectives on a piece of who they are. I know now the same thing about our daughter is true, just like our son autism was always there and will always be there. It is my job as a mother to teach this world what those words mean to our family, to hold our babies close, and to know no matter what, they will have a safe place to be whoever they want to be. Because I made a promise and I intend to keep it. I will protect them as mothers do from the world outside our doors, even if I'm unsure of how to do it. Even if I have days where the ground feels shaky, where the feelings are too big, I will find a place to stand strong because this isn't what I imagined. It's so much more. Always and in so many silly ways by Rachel Flanagan. As I think back about who we were six and a half years ago, I see so much more than two rested soon to be parents. I remember the tears, the years and the struggle to build our family. I remember the decade of living with an empty crib as various agencies told us that we were ready and waiting, their dreams of what it would be like. Mostly, I remember the joy that filled my heart each time and the hope that each time would be different. 
We were preparing, learning, cultivating a strong marriage and logging sleep. Meanwhile, I'm sure God was figuring out how to cram so much unreasonably remarkable, miraculous and mischievous into one tiny babe. You see, there isn't a single part of me that doesn't believe that we were made for her and she for us. So when I wrote a letter to her birth mom on my daughter's sixth birthday, I was conflicted, forgiving and exhausted, but also unconditional. Here's my note to her. Always and in so many silly ways, we love you. Through the remarkably challenging stuff and each heartwarming moment, I think of you and I love you. In struggle and in triumph, her dad and I stick to the promises we made you six years ago today. When Celie notices her remarkable hair, she thanks you. When she finds an eyelash and doesn't want to wish for a pet jellyfish, she sometimes sends you her extra wishes. When she catches a fall on her big biscuits, she screams, thank you, into the skies of the spirit of her words mixed with the wind and the feeling is carried directly to your heart. We do so many things like this, and it's my wish that you feel each bit of the magical juju flowing your way. We will always have rituals for our love for you. As I said, always, and in so many silly ways. Today, as you know, this beautiful girl of ours turns six. Today is the sixth anniversary of the best day of my life. 2,192 days ago, you made me a mom. 52,627 hours ago, you made Billy a dad. Most parents think of the birth and coming home journey on their kids' birthdays, and in many ways, I'm no different. But girl, you know as well as I do, ours was way different. At 2.34 a.m., you gave birth to the most glorious baby girl. By 2.36, February 3rd, in St. Paul, Minnesota, you looked at me in the eyes and let me hold my daughter first. At 2.38, as I held her and squeezed your hand, I know you felt every promise pass through my heart into yours. And then we trusted. By 4.30, we were in separate rooms. Billy and I were watching her tiny chest raise and lower as she was sleeping. We were holding her close, kissing her, and gazing at her every feature. We were mesmerized. We tried out our new mom and dad titles and basked in the feeling of being a complete family for the first time in our lives. But at the very same time, you were just across the hall, healing from so much. Our special and shared love takes unconditional to new heights. At that time, we had developed a deeply respectful, wildly open relationship. One of the most cherished and raw relationships of my life. At the time and over the years since, I have felt like we did a really remarkable job. We honored one another as best as possible. But I've thought about your view and experience. I hope that you found comfort in hearing the sweet sounds of Jubilee as our siblings met their precious niece. I hope it was heartwarming to see our glow, and I hope you know that it is still right here. When her eyes close, lashes softly on her cheeks, and she is still, I think of you. When she is fueled by her endless energy, I remember you telling me that she was going to come out running because she was kicking at all hours of the day, day after day. Premonition confirmed, she is all of those things. When she is being a strong-willed hellcat, I think of you. As I am trying harder now than I ever have before, I think of you and the promise that I made. I think of you and I want you to know that you're loved, appreciated, and cherished unconditionally as always. But man, sometimes in our hardest moments, I think of the choices that you made and I wonder, did you know? Being nearly the same age as you, I am sure that you knew drinking wasn't a good choice for your baby, for my baby. Did you know the extent it would rock her? 
Did you know how it happens the way that it does? Did you know that with alcohol, even a drop can affect so much? I didn't understand the extent, and that's why it's so easy for me to say I forgive you. So this year, as we pass into the sixth year of my dream coming true, I wanted to recommit my promises and check in. As we stay steadfast in our commitment to giving her everything that we can, teaching her all that we can, exposing her to as many beneficial experiences as we can, I tell you, my beautiful friend, I am here for her. I am here for all of it. The only way I know how is to keep on leading with my whole heart. I'll keep bringing the world to her and I will continue to tell the world to get ready. This year, as we dive deep into fetal alcohol syndrome, please know that it is not with any shade to you. It's a part of her and we love all of her parts. We want the entire world to be ready to welcome her when she is ready to fully experience what's in store. I want you to see the strength and the courage in her and be inspired. She is a force to be reckoned with, and I think it's because she has nature and nurture on her side. Loving you always, and in so many silly ways, Rachel. You see, being this beauty's mom has taken a strength I didn't know I had. Love that would come so endlessly, it seems to grow each time I give her more. And all of the desire to thrive that we built up over the years and years of waiting is all here for her. For us, being Celie's parents is an answered prayer. She's exactly what Billy and I dreamed of, and so much more. We often call her extra. She is a special, special kid, a special all her own. Sure, she has disabilities and labels. She has struggles that I'm sure we haven't uncovered yet, but there is so much to this kid that doesn't show up on the diagnostics. Yes, she's autistic. She has ADHD. She's on the fetal alcohol spectrum. She has bipolar and anxiety, and she doesn't even sleep really. And her brain sends misfire signals to and fro, but there is so much more. She is magic. Her hugs can heal. Her belief in herself is remarkably protected. She is strong, gifted, determined, and she works so hard. I can't wait to see where we are six more years from now. Might we be in a mermaid tail, struggling with sleep, facing puberty, or dealing with it easily because of years building skills to cope with all the things? Perhaps. Six more years after that, I can't even imagine. One thing I know for sure is that we will probably still be tired. We'll probably still be filled with love and watching her reach her potential. For sure, Billy and I will never be bored. Time travel doesn't make today awesome. So back to the present. This kid is preparing for first grade and her first time in a coveted ABA space. I have one more week of summer with her. Weirdest year ever aside, time marches on. I'm going to make slime, bake muffins, color, play Barbies, work on letters, and then I'm going to serve lunch. I'm going to make snacks. I'm going to fill waters. I hope to watch her eat corn like a caveman, and that'll be followed by a popsicle for sure. I'm going to stay present and not let my fear guide me. I'm going to be as strong as Seely. Thank you for joining us at the table for this special story time episode as part of our fifth series, The Woman and Me. If you are enjoying the podcast and where you're listening allows, please remember to rate and review us. To join in on the conversation, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram or email us at tableforfivepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for sitting with us today. Coming up next will be our no reservations episode. So come have some fun with us. We'll see you then.